Oh, hey, Summit Midtown. This is Brandon Shields. Today is Thursday, May the 21st, and I want to welcome you to another podcast uh, episode designed to help you practice the way of Jesus in the time of global pandemic. Today, I'm so thrilled and honored to have on this podcast uh, Hannah Anderson. Hannah is a friend and is a theologian, an author, and uh, just somebody who I've gotten to know over the last couple of years and uh, just really appreciate your, her perspective. And Hannah, thank you just for being on here and spending a few minutes uh, chatting with us today. Well, I'm glad to be able to talk with you, Brandon. And I think you should really put an asterisk in that bio. Like since the last few months, also pandemic schooling mom, pandemic working from home mom, all of these other things. Because I think if your life is anything like mine, none of the old bios apply anymore <laughs> yes everything's everything's been scrubbed and it's just it's just pandemic let's just call it yeah, the pandemic. and yeah. that's why we're doing this podcast because we're all trying to stay sane and not go crazy um and speaking of that that brings us to our topic today um i, I want to talk a, about conspiracy theories and we're living Do you have in a reason moment. for this well, well i mean there's so much obviously like floating around and there's so much that you read and, you know, obviously being a pastor, we have, I have lots of conversations with people and everybody has an opinion about, about the pandemic. And it's interesting because there's like so much complexity, right? Like a couple months ago, none of us had ever heard of COVID-19 um, and really weren't even familiar with pandemics. And all of a sudden now we're in the midst of a pandemic that is sweeping across the globe. And there's all these theories about how we got to this place, right? Like the origins of this pandemic and why the government's responding the way that they are and why public health officials and the hospital system is doing what they're doing and why are these recommendations and lockdowns, you know, coming so swiftly. And and I, there's been this whole genre of thought that um, it's hard to pin down. It's hard to actually like label and define, but you might just kind of broadly call it conspiracy theory thinking um, because in, in my understanding of this is like, this attempt to kind of see life through the lens of a, this vast interconnected network of, you know, powerful people and institutions that are somehow coordinating together uh, to exploit people for maybe personal benefit. And, and there's kind of this, this maybe desire to unmask these realities. And I, I think it's like, it happens, obviously like it's happening in culture. We see like QAnon and, and pandemic videos going viral and things like that. And it's, conservative and progressive it's all over the like political map and spectrum right and it's like nothing new but you also are starting to see a lot of it in the church like christians are um you know like your facebook feed i'm sure is just lighting up with people sharing articles some of that like uncritical some of it like emotional and so it's like this like the social media is always like this but this heightened like contested space for trying to explain what's happening and like there's this really big need right now for for wisdom as christians and and, and thinking through how we uh what voices we're kind of listening to and what we're passing on all this kind of stuff so the other day i was thinking about this and i was having some conversations about this and then you tweeted out some stuff about uh, one lens through which we can see conspiracy theories and how people are processing that and why there's this need to to try to explain things i'd love for you just to take a moment to unpack what you said and then I have a bunch of questions that I just want to ask you because you're an expert on conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or not, but I will say this. I am very experienced or I've had a lot of exposure 
um, to kind of conspiracy type thinking, or I don't even know if the language of conspiracy is the best way. It is what you described. Um, it's looking for that kind of unity in the chaos, some kind of explanation, something that will tie all the bits together so that we can gain some sense of orientation within um, a moment that, quite frankly, is very disorienting. Mm-hmm. And that leaves us feeling very helpless because of our loss of norms and just that kind of loss of knowing which direction to turn or who to look for for help. So probably just like you, my social media feeds have been overrun with lots of explanations for what is happening in this moment. And, you know, social media has always been a place where people can offer up whatever they're thinking or whatever explains the current dilemma. But I've found in the last few months we started out kind of, we're all in this together, but then it got long and it got harder and we weren't seeing any clear direction or any sense of how to understand the moment we were in. And as that began to happen, I saw more and more kind of um, theories emerging about where we were and what we needed to do and what drug you should take and whether you should wear masks or not wear masks. And as I've watched it, I've, I've tried to kind of interrogate the, the context and interrogate my own reactions to it. And one of the things that I have been thinking a lot about, and I think this is probably what you're alluding to with, with what I, I mentioned on Twitter, is our need to make sense of suffering. So as human beings who live in this already not yet, we, we believe as Christians that the world is under a curse. But we also believe that there is order and there is um, kind of meaning behind the world. And so we find ourselves in this moment of intense disorientation, intense suffering, um, this loss of stability and safety. And so we're just overwhelmed by the uncertainty. And one of the ways that we can attempt to cope with that is to try to grapple with evil by trying to put it in orderly categories, right? So we try to find this logic or we try to find this narrative that will make sense of the chaos, that will make sense of the disorder. And I think that's not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, we are order-seeking, meaning-making creatures. Um, The problem is when we come to a question of suffering or evil, one of the elements of evil is that it's chaotic, that it doesn't have meaning, that it comes into the shalom that God has created into the order and obliterates it. And so I think at one level, one of the reasons that we long for an answer or an explanation is because we are looking for order, but the nature of suffering and pain and evil is disorder. It's chaotic. And I don't know that we're always prepared to let that be the case. Mm. Wow, that's really good. So there is this kind of need for us to make sense of evil. And in a sense, what we're what we're experiencing is the breakdown of shalom. And we're kind of raging against that, right? So there's an element of that that is 
good and right and and perfectly like human, right? Our humanity in this is such that we want to be able to explain, we want to be able to find context that helps us orient ourselves. But then the danger is taken to an extreme, um, it can it can really bring us to a, some bad places. It can bring us to places. I mean, because there there certainly is corruption in the world. Right? Like nobody's denying that there's not corruption. There's not both personal and systemic corruption. But right. like, what do you see as some of the dangers when this this need to kind of unmask or this need to find unity and order in something that is inherently chaotic and disorderly? Um, when that kind of gets exaggerated, what are some of the dangers for right. us as a, as a society and as individuals and as Christians? I think one of the things that you pointed on is that we do have to hold a category of corruption. And and that's the thing I I see a lot of people pushing back on. I'll, I'll see a conspiracy theory maybe about the government or some high-profile business leader, and I'll say, oh, I don't know that that's the case. And they'll say, well, don't you think the world is corrupt? And I say, yes, I think the world is corrupt. I just don't think it's organized. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't think that there's the ability for coordinated corruption at the levels at which a lot of conspiracy theories are, are promoting it. And so I think one of the things that can happen if we are looking for this kind of coordinated approach to evil is we will miss the evil that's right in front of our faces because we will be looking for evil to be a certain way, that it will be hidden. It will be the mark of the beast. It will be this high-level, global, international conspiracy that's, you know, harming children or trying to take over. And the problem with that is that evil is much more mundane and it's much more chaotic. And a lot of times it doesn't take coordination for evil to happen. It can involve one person. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon's really wrestling with what it means to live life in the vanity under the sun, you know, on this earth. And one of the things that he talks about that just has stayed in my mind since I first saw it is that it only takes one fool to wreak havoc. It only takes one fool to destroy. And that is the kind of uncertainty and the angst that we live in in this world is that evil can happen anywhere and it can happen right in front of us and it doesn't have to be highly coordinated. So one of the risks if we are always looking for some kind of conspiracy level um, explanation is that we're going to miss the evil that is right in front of our eyes. Mm. Mm. And, what, and what would be so like what we're, what you're saying is like don't don't get preoccupied with the cabal maybe uh, to borrow some language, but be looking for that on a more local level and more insidious ways or maybe just more like ordinary ways. Um, what would right. that look like to shift your focus of attention or your fixation from? this kind of like nameless, faceless, you know, cadre of like evil out there in the world to, you know, your your locality, your neighborhood, the relationships you walk mm-hmm. in or even within yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think that what you said there is really key is a lot of times we're looking for an explanation of evil that's outside of ourselves and detached from us um, when perhaps we should start with our own hearts. We should start not how we have conspiratorial hearts, but how our own um, 
passions lead us astray, our own biases, our own pride, our own need to be right is going to cloud our ability to even see what's happening in the world. And so when I'm looking for an explanation of evil, you kind of tend your own ground first, right? You start with your own heart and and you recognize the limitations of your own heart and your own inability to be completely devoid of bias, to be completely um, pristine where you would have this ability to evaluate. And, and as you do that, it puts you in a place of humility, not to say, well, I can't know or I can't judge, but that you recognize the limits of your ability to judge. You recognize that you're just yourself. You're one person. And it kind of decenters the reliance you place on your own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I've noticed a lot in the last few weeks is this sentiment that's basically, well, I can believe what I want to believe. Um, you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. Or this is America and everyone has a right to an opinion. And I think that kind of mentality, it, it is rooted in a sense of if I believe it, that's sufficient. That if I am convinced of this theory, that's enough validation that I can act on it. And I think one of the things that we have to do if we're going to even begin to move toward wisdom is recognize that our hearts are deceitful and they will trick us. And Mm. so we start with that ground first to say, how could I potentially be getting this wrong? Mm. And submit ourselves to others to facts, to things outside of our own initial emotional response to a situation. Mm. It strikes me that like biblically and kind of theologically speaking, what we're talking about here is in the realm of discernment. Um, And again, discernment is one of those words that's been hijacked, you know, like discernment bloggers and watchdog sites and whistleblowing and things like that. And again, not all bad. There's certainly a prophetic impulse, I think, in there that has been helpful in calling out uh, and critiquing things that are sinful and wrong. But on the positive side, what we're talking about seems like is discernment. And I know you've written a lot about discernment and and you've thought a lot about how to be discerning in a, in a time where there is so much complexity and technology's just really made things uh, challenging. We have this like information overload all the time. How, how do you, is that the right category to be thinking about uh, as far as um, what's underneath this uh, kind of some of this thinking is like this desi- this desire to be discerning if we're being generous and gracious and thinking about a Christian, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that the right category? And what? Yeah, I have some other questions. Yeah, question. yeah, no. Is that, is that it? Yeah, I would I would absolutely say that's the the category that we should be working in, and that's the category we need for this moment with all the information coming at us. The Dilemma, though, is that for a lot of Christians, we use the language of discernment and we mean very different things by it. So you can say, well, I'm just trying to be discerning, and that means one thing within your context, and it means something else to this other person. Um, When I was writing All That's Good, that's the book you alluded to, um, I found that people would hear I was writing about discernment and think it was a 100 different things. So I would have some people kind of approach discernment as 
oh, I want to know what that feeling inside of me is, that gut instinct. I want to know how to process that and, and kind of lean into. So it's more of an emotional kind of guttural response to something. And they would see that as discernment. Other people I talked to would see discernment as, um, I want to know this secret hidden wisdom that nobody else knows. And I think that kind of taps into what we're discussing in terms of conspiracy theories, where there is something inherently validating about having insider information, and you're the only one who has the discernment to see this, and everyone else are sheep going to the slaughter. (laughs) So I also have heard people talk about discernment as um, you're staying away or you're withdrawing from the world. So mm. this would be, well, I trust Christian doctors or mm. I t- trust mm. Christian researchers or I trust Christian voices. And so in that space, discernment is tied more toward um, not just this kind of common wisdom or this common truth, but there is a, a kind of a religious or spiritual angle on it. Um, and for some people, discernment, as I, I talk with folks, it meant, well, I just don't get involved in it. I, I'm, I withdraw to the point where I'm innocent of evil. That, that verse that folks might be aware of where they say you're, you just don't know what's going on. And I see that sometimes on social media where people conclude that being discerning means I don't even read stuff anymore. I don't mm. listen to stuff. I don't get involved in the conversations. So I do think discernment is the category that we need to talk in, but I'm not sure that we all share a common definition of discernment or even an awareness of what we mean by that word. Yeah. So help me, this would be a good place to kind of land the plan, I think, because I think this is really what I want to get after for us is think about this podcast and and practicing the way of Jesus. Like, how do we live into discernment? Um, So maybe define that for us as you see that kind of biblically and then how do we cultivate that specifically in this area of um, kind of our our thinking and our communication? Uh, because, man, we have such a potential to be a life-giving presence and force in a moment like this when there is just – I think there's so much pain, as you said, so much suffering. And I think mm-hmm. we can either be agents of healing or or not. And so, like, mm-hmm. how do we disrupt this tendency to self-delude ourselves? And, like, walk me through just, like, what it would look like, you know, a Facebook post is put up on your wall or um, a piece of news, you know, comes out in your favorite news outlet, and you're tempted in that moment to react or, like, what does it actually look like in that moment? Because I think, you know, I've talked about this. It's not merely rational and intellectual. It's as emotional and, like, spiritual um, Mm -hmm. as anything else. And so give us just, like, a quick definition of discernment, and then how would you practically encourage somebody sitting at home right now to actually begin to cultivate that virtue Mm -hmm. uh, in their everyday life? Well, I think um, the language you used of healing is really significant, that we can be agents of healing and we can be agents of order and agents of shalom in this moment. And that actually aligns very well with how the scripture speaks about discernment. Because when you look at the text and you look at the, the larger picture that the scripture is presenting when it puts forward this category of discernment. It is the ability to know the difference between good and evil so that you can embrace the good. So the goal is always moving toward goodness. 
that it's not just staying away from evil, which I think perhaps a lot of us have associated discernment with. It's it's knowing all that's wrong with something. And that's why conspiracy theories always tend to take a very negative bent. Like you don't see a conspiracy theory being put forward about how global leaders are helping the world, right? <laughs> so true. Yeah. So it always has this negative, like you're always looking for what's wrong. But that's not necessarily the way the scripture speaks about discernment. Discernment is knowing what's good so that you can move toward it. And as a byproduct, you will be identified, you will be able to identify what is not good. So as you move toward what is good, you are bringing order and shalom and peace to a world that is disordered and that is fragmented and broken. And I think that's where we kind of come full circle when we're talking about suffering is we are trying to relieve suffering by bringing forward um, the mind and nature of Christ to this moment so that we, in our actions, in our own assessment, in our own words, are promoting the mind of Christ. Like We, we know this um, from Philippians. Paul talks about, you know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and it is talking about humility and how we defer to one another. But it's also encapsulating all of how Christ moved through the world and what his nature was characterized by. So boots on the ground kind of thing. If, if you're trying to discern something, you're trying to discern a message or you're trying to discern uh, what to say or how to respond in a moment, the very first thing you're looking for, you've got to understand that you are looking for goodness. You are looking for those things that align with the character and the nature of God. So you're looking for things like truth. Is this factual? Not do I feel like this is true, but are there actual shared realities and facts that we all can agree upon that is presenting truth in this message? Is it a pure message or is there bias? Are there underlying mixed motives that this message is not trustworthy because there's too many questionable things in play? So it's not pure. Is this message... Um, just is it saying what is true and right about the world is it moving us toward a place of equity and righteousness and and these are just some high level examples of the categories in which we should be thinking i think most of the time when we encounter a message online those are not the categories we're thinking in we tend to be thinking in does this align with what I already believe and already think? Does this, does this support my presuppositions? Does this tap into what I already wanted to do? So I'm going to share it because it validates the choices I'm already making. The, the thing about discernment, if you are actually seeking discernment, if you are actually seeking goodness in the world, it's not just going to test the messages you encounter. It's going to test your own heart, and it's mm. going to challenge your own motives. So if you are really seeking truth, you're going to test the message that's out there, but you're also going to test your own heart, whether you're being honest with yourself, whether you're being honest with the message, whether you're trying to control a conversation or have a gotcha. 
So I think what we're doing when we come into the work of discernment, when we're trying to test messaging on social media or that we're sharing with each other, the harder, deeper work is that it's being turned back on us. And it's revealing a whole lot more about us than we like to understand. And if you're willing to lean into that, if you're willing to ask the questions, why did I respond this way? What was my initial gut response and reaction to this piece of information? Did it enrage me? Did it make me feel proud? Did it make me feel justified? And leaning into those kind of initial emotional responses are going to be your first step to even begin to understand what true goodness looks like and whether this particular information, um, you know, is leading us toward that shalom that Christ offers. Mm, That's so good, Hannah. And again, I know you're not going to say this, but I do want to encourage you if you're listening to uh, think about picking up Hannah's book, All That's Good, because I I think we just need this habit, and it's not intuitive. It's not natural to us, right? It's something that we have to be formed. We have been deformed away from discernment. We have to Mm. be formed and shaped towards a life of discernment, not just in this moment, but I think this is a real opportunity for us to to practice something that will benefit us long beyond uh, COVID-19 and this pandemic. And so, Hannah, thank you for calling attention to that and giving us just some practical uh, uh, advice on what that looks like. And, and I, I really resonate with that idea of just a deep self-awareness and really paying attention to what's happening inside of us and not just assuming that this is an intellectual conversation, but recognizing that we are we are people who are, are moved in very deep ways by uh, the realities that we encounter. And we live in conflicting realities all the time. And so to be able to pull those apart is not easy. And so I think being able to say something as simple as, hey, pay attention to what's happening inside of you as you're receiving these messages and turn that into an opportunity for reflection and and prayer and um, and, and, and community and pressing into others and not assuming that you've got it all figured out yourself. So I would love for you, Hannah, just to pray for us, pray for the church right now. I think this is a moment we need wisdom. We need humility. We need to be a discerning people. And I would love uh, just for you to pray that over our people here at SOMA as they're listening here and wanting to to live into this reality that you're describing. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, who is all wisdom and light and goodness, we ask you to come into these days and moments with us, that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth, that we would be submitted to not just the mind of Christ, but the nature and the goodness of Christ, that we would be shaped um, by his truth and his justice and his goodness and his purity and his loveliness and that as we interact with each other and with information in these confusing times that our choices and the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to you because they look like you. And Lord, we just ask that you will give your children discernment, that you will make us wise people, um, whether that is to hold our tongue or to speak, whether it is to reflect on our own hearts and to, to gain new awareness of the work that you're doing in them, whether it is to 
help and support others. We just ask for your clarity and your wisdom in these moments for us. And we ask this all in Christ's name.